0: Log Talk Radio
1: It's Monday, April thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, almost as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, and I am joined by my co-host, Susie. How are you today?
0: Good. Thanks, and you?
1: I am well. Um, Welcome to the program again. We only have four left for this broadcast year, as we call it, because... I'm in Sweden next Monday, and we have um Memorial Day at the end of May. so believe it or not, only four programs left after today.
0: Wow, that went by fast.
1: yes, it did. um, let me give the call a number. We have a caller already the number is three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one We also have a bunch of uh emails queued up in the mailbag, but uh, as always, callers take priority on the program, so shall we start the program with our caller?
0: Yes, let's.
1: Let's do it. From uh, area code 617, you're on the air. How are you today? Or maybe not. Area code 617, did you want to uh, pose a question? No,
0: actually, I called to listen
1: got it um sorry about that then we have no callers shall we move over to some email
0: well yeah i just wanted to mention though that i had a chance to attend a parents training last week and if parents and caregivers have a chance to attend one of these trainings it's such a great opportunity to find out about the model It's so important for parents to learn a new and better way to help challenging children by collaboratively and proactively addressing lagging skills.
1: So uh, where was that training, just out of curiosity?
0: Uh, I was in Guelph, Ontario.
1: And who was the speaker? (laughs)
0: Dr. Ross Green.
1: That's what I thought. And... um, well, that Dr. Green, he does these talks every now and again in the evening for parents. I try to whenever I'm someplace. So sometimes we can pull it off. Sometimes I can get in early enough um, to speak in the evening, or sometimes I'm there for two days, as I was this time, and we can speak on the evening of the first day. But it was a very nice group that we had there. and um, It was a nice turnout. It was, and... Um, very nice people in Guelph, and, of course, their school system is implementing collaborative and proactive solutions as best they can and um, better than many and are very devoted to it, um, which is always great. So nice to meet all those parents, but also nice to know that the school system is uh, doing whatever it can to help its behaviorally challenging kids. Now, Susie, you usually remind me to say that people need to push the button number one push the number one when they call in, but this time I'm the one who remembered. So that call-in number, 347-994-2981. And Susie, I I hate to not have you do this. Do you want to tell people to push the number one?
0: Please push
1: the number one button
0: after the phone number.
1: Thank you. Now there is balance in the world, lives in the balance. (laughs) So let's move over to some email, and Mm -hmm. here we go. Uh, I have been struggling, This this is not a fun one, I have been struggling with my daughter's school for two years with regard to her challenging behaviors and have been looking for a way to foster a positive learning environment that addresses the skills she lacks. My daughter is seven years old, first grade, and a very spirited child. Despite my suggestions and education on the CPS approach, two to three emails per week, our teacher continues to punish my daughter for undesirable behavior rather than collaborating with her and coming to mutually satisfactory solutions that support lagging skills growth unfortunately as a result my daughter's self-esteem and self-confidence has been have been damaged she's very intelligent energetic and wise soul She does not like to try something if she does not know she will be 100% successful. Most of the time, the teacher punishes her because she claims my daughter refuses, in quotes, to do her work. I ask her teacher if she tried asking my daughter why she is refusing, in quotes, to do her work, and she states she does not have the time. I have tried time and time again to educate the teacher about Plan B and have shared how effective it is for us. The teacher engages in antagonistic behavior with my daughter, for example, telling her she is going to go back to pre-K, hiding my daughter's stuffed animal from her, etc. I have an associate's in early childhood education as well as a bachelor's in social and behavioral sciences with a minor in child and family. I believe wholeheartedly in Plan B, mostly because we use it and it works, but also because I share the same philosophy Kids do well if they can. I feel so helpless. My daughter is the one who is truly suffering. I do not know what to do. Can you help? Want to take first crack at that one? I
0: think I'm going to let you. All right.
1: Um, I think that um, as we often say... We are looking for somebody in the building who this mom believes can guide her in terms of how to make things happen for her daughter in the building. I don't know if that's the guidance counselor or the school psychologist or the principal or the assistant principal. I don't know who it is. But I'm hoping there's someone who can guide her, because right now it's just between her and the teacher, and um, it isn't going well. Um, Two to three emails per week don't seem to be getting the job done, and um, as, as best we can tell from this email, have not changed the teacher's lenses. Um, I feel terrible that this mom feels that her daughter is suffering and being damaged. I always feel terrible when adults engage in antagonistic behavior with a kid um, of any age, but certainly with a kid who is only seven years old. Um, We need to find somebody in the building who can help the mom navigate how best to advocate for her daughter because the two to three emails per week form of advocacy doesn't seem to have gotten the job done and may, in fact, be working against mom at this point. Um, Beyond that, we don't know a great deal about the seven-year-old daughter except that she is very spirited um, and some other Nice things, intelligent, energetic, and a wise soul uh it is very insightful to know that uh the daughter is reluctant to start new tasks, and I would not imagine that punishing her because of work refusal is going to get the job done. so the big question is um, how do we get something else going here, and how do we help this mom and this teacher communicate and collaborate with each other on behalf of this kid in a way that works better than what's happening right now. So the usual guidance is, let's see if there's somebody in the building who can do that. If there's nobody in the building who can do that, this mom may need a mental health professional to do some blocking for her and be an advocate on behalf of her kid in that way instead. I'm hoping there's somebody in the building, and I'm hoping that at a very minimal way of getting the ball rolling, um, the folks at school are willing to sit down with mom and take a look at the daughter's lagging skills and unsolved problems. You know, that's the way we usually start, even with a school that's not completely on board as I always say these days, it all begins with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And um, well, any thoughts to add to that? Those are there's my two cents.
0: Um, well, I just wanted to add that yes, uh, the mom has done a fabulous job of trying to communicate and collaborate with the, her daughter's teachers. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't panned out. Um, So not to be afraid to go over the teacher's head and to find someone else in the building who um, can indeed help her. And the other thing was, um, I think the teacher was saying that the daughter refuses to do her work. Um, And you just referred to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, I would want to break that down into its component parts because that's a bit general. Um, Those were my thoughts.
1: Let me expand on that just a little bit. Refusing to do work, even if we're calling it that, Behavior is just the signal. It's the way kids and adults communicate that there's a demand being placed upon them that outstrips the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands. Work refusal actually is at the relatively mild end of the spectrum of things kids could do. Um, I'm not reading that this kid is screaming or swearing or hitting or running out of the classroom. I suspect that if we continue dealing with work refusal by punishing her, then we might see other behavioral signals that she is um, stuck and struggling to meet certain expectations. So um, this is an interesting fork in the road um, for many, many people. Uh, Adults see a behavior that they don't like. They fail to interpret it as a signal, the means by which a kid is communicating, that she is lacking the skills to meet the demands and expectations that are being placed upon her. Instead, we view it merely as a behavior. We punish the behavior that we don't like. We reward the kid for doing the behavior that we do like. And now we are stuck in behavior and behavior modification mode, rather than what we should be doing, which is viewing behavior as merely the signal and a signal that is occurring downstream and paddling upstream to find the problems that are causing that behavior. In this case, we need to figure out why the kid is not doing her work and to simply view it as refusal and to simply punish it, is missing the ball badly. Whoops. Whoops, indeed. My Verizon is telling me that I've used 76% of my plan, so that's extremely important for me to know while I'm doing this, but I don't think Verizon cares. So that's a real big fork in the road. The fork either takes you downstream where you're viewing things only as behavior and only setting yourself up for behavior modification or taking the fork to the left and hiking upstream and figuring out what problems are causing the behavior and solving them. It is a crucial fork. And um, I'm sorry to report that many people still head right when they could be heading left. And by the way, I'm not using right and left symbolically there. Maybe right is upstream and left is downstream. The important thing is we need to be hiking and paddling upstream so that we can find problems and solve them rather than being stuck in behavior management mode. So I hope our comments are helpful to Mum and, um, just hate to think of a seven-year-old who um, has the characteristics this mom described being on the receiving end of punishment and having anybody think that that's going to get the job done. Any further thoughts on that before we uh, move on? Um,
0: Just to offer that if the mom wants to call in or write and let us know how things are going, we would love to hear from her.
1: We certainly would. Uh no callers, so let's move on to another uh email question. Uh it says, Hi Doctor Green. People aren't quite used to the fact that you're on the program yet, but that's okay. They will get used to it. No. i recently read your I've recently read your book, The Explosive Child, and this is the first parenting book that has struck a real chord with me. Good. It describes my son and our family situation to a T, and you suggest ways of approaching my son that I instinctively felt true, but didn't have a framework for. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm understanding my eight-year-old son a lot better now, and am beginning to approach some unsolved problems with Plan B. However, the missing link for me is how to effectively teach my son the skills he is missing or lagging. Will he just naturally catch up with these skills simply through engaging in the plan B? Or are there ways that I can be working on these separately with him? It seems difficult to find professional help in the UK. So, this is from uh, the United Kingdom. It's very cool that people are listening over there. Very. With addressing these lagging skills, since the psychologist we see and the mental health workers approach with kids, they're very traditional. He needs more motivation and more rewards and clear consequences view. I would love to find someone to help who's on the same page as me now, but I don't know who this would be. Honestly, I'm exhausted dealing with explosions and trying to solve problems as his parent. I don't want to take on the th- role as therapist as well. Can you help me clear this up, please? Delighted if you get on the c p s connection website, you'll find a list of providers who um have participated in certification training with me. And um, there is one in York, England. Uh, I don't know where in England this mom is writing from, but uh, there is somebody in York who is quite skilled at the model. And um, I suspect that in the coming years there will be even more people who are skilled in the model um, in England, as well as all over the place. We have some uh, people who are coming up the ranks in Norway. Already some folks in Sweden and more in the pipeline. Some folks in the pipeline in Denmark. Um, I suspect Iceland will be there soon. I suspect Australia will be there soon. Uh, possibly someone in Holland, the Netherlands, soon. Um it's very exciting that uh, people, and of course, lots of folks in the United States and Canada, and that list continues to grow, we will be finishing the this year's certification trainings in the next month or two, and a whole additional list of people will be added to the existing list, people who have been working extremely hard to become skilled at the collaborative and proactive solutions model and are. Uh I don't certify them unless they're really good. In any event, let's get back to mom's email. So I'd get on that website. I don't know how close you are to York, but um, good help is worth traveling for, I guess, has always been my point of view. Um, let's go back to the email now. First of all, good for mom for um, being open-minded, and I'm glad that the approach is resonating with her. The question is, uh, how will her son be taught the skills? And the answer is, uh, I used to say this anecdotally, but I now have research back this up from the five-year study on collaborative and proactive solutions that has been taking place at the Virginia Tech Child Study Center. When you are solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you are simultaneously but indirectly teaching your child the skills he or she is lacking. Um, And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about that. Um, Why might that be? Why would solving problems collaboratively and proactively simultaneously teach kids the skills they are lacking, but do it indirectly? Well, first of all, there are some skills that can be taught explicitly and directly. There are Some language processing and communication skills that can be taught directly. If a kid needs help finding the words, we can help kids find the words. We can give kids a vocabulary for letting us know something's the matter, quite frankly, by simply teaching them that something's the matter. Find that a lot of the expressions, those of us who think of ourselves as being very linguistically fluent, we don't really hang our hats on that many expressions, And we can teach kids a finite number of expressions that will serve them very well when it comes to helping them let us know that something's wrong or that something's the matter, that they're frustrated. And further down the road, even what it is they're frustrated about, that can be done in pictures before they have words, and all they then have to do is point. We can teach some social skills directly, entering a group, starting a conversation sometimes recognizing facial expression. I'm not being exhaustive here, just giving people, our listeners, a sampling. Those are the skills that can often be taught directly. But the model also teaches skills indirectly. And here's the examples I always use in my workshops. Let's say that Bobby's having difficulty shifting cognitive set. That's a lagging skill. It's the first one on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's say that one of Bobby's unsolved problems that seems to be related to that lagging skill is difficulty moving from choice time to math. That's an unsolved problem. Let's say we solve that problem with Bobby collaboratively and proactively. A few good things will happen. Good thing number one, Bobby will now... Well, number one, that problem will now be solved and Bobby won't be exhibiting challenging behavior in response to that problem anymore. That's great. I'll take that. But here's the gravy. We now have one solution in Bobby's new Making Transitions folder. Yes, a lot of us do think as the human brain, as in many ways functioning a lot like your computer does, Files, folders. And um we have now begun expanding Bobby's making transitions repertoire by solving one problem that seems to involve difficulty making transitions. Now, as I always say, is Bobby world class at making transitions yet? Nope. He seems to only have one solution in his making transitions repertoire. When will his repertoire become broader when we start solving some other solutions that seem to be related to making transitions? When will we know we're really getting there? When Bobby starts applying solutions that are in his repertoire that we helped create and develop for him to other transitions that are not the ones that we were helping him solve? What if Bobby doesn't start doing that? Well, then we'll help him do it by saying to him when we're solving problems, you know, Bobby, this difficulty making transition sounds a lot, seems a lot like another one that we've solved before. I wonder if the solution that we came up with for that other one might help us with this one. Slowly but surely, we hope Bobby will start to use his repertoire and Bobby will need less help. From us. Fantastic. But we didn't teach the skill directly. We taught it indirectly by solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Now, last point, irrespective of what lagging skill and unsolved problem it is, are you teaching lagging skills just by doing plain old plan B? And I want to let our caller know. Uh, We'll be with you as soon as we're through with this question. Hang on. Are you teaching skills just by doing plain old plan B, irrespective of what the lagging skill and unsolved problems are? Yes. A lot of skills are getting taught in the empathy step. A lot of skills are being practiced in the empathy step. How to think about what your concerns are, how to clarify them, how to put them in words in ways that people can understand and lots of others. Are any skills being taught in the define adult concerns step? Yep, lots. And I'm going to pull a bunch of these right off of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, Uh, how to listen to somebody else's concerns and take those concerns into account, how to take another person's perspective, how to appreciate how one's behavior is affecting other people, possibly even empathy, any skills being taught in the invitation. Sure, uh, thinking of alternative solutions, uh, thinking about how those solutions will pan out if we actually do them, thinking about whether those solutions are truly realistic and mutually satisfactory, teaching a lot of skills just by doing plain old plan B, irrespective of what lagging skill and unsolved problem it is, Cool. Susie, anything to add to that before we take our caller?
0: I just wanted to add that by solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you teach the skills indirectly, and you're making things better over time. And it's never
1: perfect, but it's better. Well, I like it better than... Fighting, and I like it better than causing challenging episodes, which is what Plan A does. I also like it better on the ones that we're working on than Plan C, where we're just setting it aside. As we've often said, many parents and educators think that there really are only two options: impose your will or capitulate. But then there's, well, there's that other option plan B, which is where you are neither imposing your will nor capitulating or giving in. You are figuring out what's getting in the kid's way on a specific unsolved problem. You are letting the kid know what your concern is, and you are working together as teammates, as partners, to solve the problem together. I'll take that any day. Shall we move on to our caller? Door. Let's do it. Area code 989. You're on the air. What's going on today?
2: Hi there. I am calling. I submitted an email question that you answered a couple of weeks ago. I'm the mom of five who was wondering about um, healing the parent-child relationship with collaborative problem solving. Yep. And uh, yes, <laughs> I really appreciate your responses. It was really uh, affirming for me to hear that. I have found that over the last few years of embracing, um, you know, this approach and really setting Plan A aside, that, you know, I am healing the relationship and we are having just more solutions and more building of all of our skills, our problem-solving skills. So um, I'm calling today to ask you to expand a little bit more on the proactive aspect like I know what that word means I <laughs> I am proactive in a lot of ways but you you made a note during that program to not forget about that aspect and I just was wondering if you would expand upon that a little bit more
1: delighted there's only one problem I can't remember Susie do you remember I'm sorry, I do not <laughs> well, give us a little. I mean, I can
2: fill you in on said. the question a little more um maybe Go what ahead. you were referring to. um, I was concerned about you know some anger and rage I had early on, and some regrets and just really wanting to um attend to those creating some more structure and connection in our family, and you suggested doing the ou up um along with that, and then there was just this note about, you know, don't forget about the proactive aspect of all of this. Here's a little one. Um, and I just thought I'd just be open to your thoughts on, on that, because you have changed, you know, I know you, I read about why you changed the name, pardon me, from um, just the collaborative problem-solving to um, collaborative from proactive, but obviously that's an important piece to you. So even if it doesn't apply necessarily to my question, I just kind of want to hear more, more about that from you.
1: Got it. Well, um, in terms of the bare bones basics, solving problems in the heat of the moment is nowhere nearly as effective as solving problems proactively because you're adding heat. See, we're glad you have kids because otherwise we would have thought you were faking it, right? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're here. <laughs> I was muting so you could I could hear you.
1: <laughs> I love it. No, 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 no. You don't have to mute. We we don't mind. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, we kind of like kids on this program. Um, kinda. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so if you're solving a problem proactively, it's it's just a whole lot better um, in terms of timing because people are calmer. People are able to think. When you're in the heat of the moment, you're adding heat and rush to the mix, and those aren't really conducive to problem-solving because people aren't as able to participate in the process. Um, and, you know, you, you've just added a lot more stress to the whole problem-solving mix. So the truth is, if there is one, there are some negative aspects to the name change. But if there is one positive aspect to the name change, It's that it permits us to accentuate and underscore the proactive piece, because it's really important. Now, what makes it possible for you to be proactive is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, because it helps you um, get the global picture, lagging skills, get the specific picture, unsolved problems, and it along with the problem-solving plan, helps you decide which unsolved problems you want to start working on and prioritize Mm -hmm. initially. And those are unsolved problems you can start now working on proactively because you've identified them, you've prioritized them, and it kind of helps you organize the effort so that you are doing plan B under the most optimal circumstances possible. It doesn't mean that Emergency Plan B is out of the question. It just isn't anywhere near as conducive to solving a problem as proactive Mommy,
2: Plan B. Mommy put this on.
1: Right. Okay.
2: That makes Susie, a lot of sense.
1: To add, does it, Susie? Anything to add to that? Yeah. Um,
0: I think it's great that you're being responsive to the hand you've been dealt, and trying so hard with your Mommy. family. Um, And what you're doing is repairing relationships. You're rethinking, you know, the challenging child. Um, And by solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you actually, and working out solutions that address both parties' concerns, you um, are... Are helping your child, and your child indeed sees you as someone who is working together, as opposed to you doing something to your kid.
2: Yes, big difference, huge.
0: Yeah, and and <laughs> and seeing and you know adjusting your lenses, seeing it as a family problem, not just the child,
1: is yeah. uh, a huge. Give me a tray. Way to think.
2: Yes. Give me a yes, I, I agree. It, yeah, wow, that was big too. Okay. <laughs> I love it sounds like you have someone
1: who wants you to play with her, him or her.
2: Yeah, and she wants a tray for her food too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very oh, much. Oh, that's what you know, she's saying. Yeah, questions for you all in the future. And I hope that you consider... Um, just more trainings, you know, for parents to bring this to more parents, too.
1: We do them as often as we can, and we will soon have Good. many other people out there doing them besides me.
2: Great. Thank you both so much.
1: Thanks for Thank calling you. in. Yep. Um, that was a fun age. Of course, I'm having yeah. trouble thinking of any age that wasn't a fun age. Um. Yeah. Yep, it's all fun. It's all good. (laughs) Sometimes it's not so fun, but um, the fun parts, the the unfun parts can be better if we're handling them well, but also proactively.
0: Well, that's true. Yeah.
1: Um, Here's a question from another. Let me just make sure we don't have any other callers. We don't. So here's another question from the email bag. Uh, I would like to first say thank you. I have a five-year-old child who fits the description. You give of an explosive child almost to a T. My wife and I have been using the basket system for a while now, and it has really helped. Of course, if they're using the basket system, I think they've got an old copy of the explosive child. But anyways, my question is, do you, in your experience, feel that this lack of problem-solving ability is becoming more prevalent If it has been around for a long time, how did people deal with it before professionals like yourself were there to help them? Thank you for any response you can give. Susie, you want to tackle that one first? Um, Or you want me to take a stab at it? If you don't mind taking a stab, that would be great. Got it. You're being very deferential today, Susie. (laughs) Never mind. Um, Yeah, I think that behaviorally challenging kids have been around for a very long time. That's why there are so many uh, uh, times in the book of Proverbs where it tells us to use a rod to correct them. So there would have been no need for discussion of rod if there weren't kids who back then people felt needed a rod. Of course, the problem is that Thousands of years later, people are taking the rod part a little too literally, um, and that's why 40-some-odd countries, the United States not being one of them, have uh, outlawed spanking, let alone spanking with a rod. But there have been lots of different interpretations of what a rod is um one that I like very much, of course, is that um the rod that they were referring were referring to, even in the book of Proverbs, is the rod that um sheep herders used to guide but not hit their sheep. And so certainly uh any parent who doesn't guide their child um isn't doing their job if by rod, we are talking about guiding, and there are lots of ways to guide. But the research telling us what happens to kids when adults interpret rod literally and therefore are physically violent to their kids in a way that they believe is a form of discipline, the research on that is in... and. Um, it isn't pretty. Uh the damage done is compelling. And the damage done is especially compelling when we consider that we have alternatives that the research tells us is every bit as effective as rewarding and punishing. Now, we weren't comparing collaborative and proactive solutions to the rod It's way more effective than the rod. In fact, what we were comparing collaborative and proactive solutions to in research is sort of just the standard reward and punishment model, but that model came, including the use of timeout from people who were trying to figure out how to give parents options besides hitting their kid. Plus, there's a whole bunch of, if people are relying on Scripture, a whole bunch of Scripture telling us how we should treat each other that completely contradicts the belief that the best way to provide anybody with guidance, kids included, is by hitting them. So, not exactly clear what we used to do. There's different interpretations of whether, even in Scripture, hitting is what we're really supposed to be doing. Do I think that there are more behaviorally challenging kids now than there have ever been? It does seem so. Um, Why might that be? Lots of reasons. Um, Here are some of my favorites. In the United States, anyways, we are much more transient than we used to be, so we don't have quite the kind of community responsibility for a kid that may have been stronger 30, 40, 50 years ago. We are continuing to raise the bar on kids academically, thereby causing many more to fall off the apple cart than would have when the demands were more reasonable. That's right, the higher you raise the bar the more kids are going to fall off the apple cart. It's got to be that way. Especially if all we're busy doing is focusing on the kids who can handle the raised bar and not being anywhere nearly so devoted to the kids who are proving to us, often through their behavior, that they cannot handle the raised bar. takes two parents in North America to make the income that one parent used to. So that means we got two really busy parents rather than one income earner and one who is primarily taking care of the kids. I actually think a lot has changed for the worse for kids in the last 40 to 50 years. One man's opinion, that, and those are not all the reasons that could contribute to their being more behaviorally challenging kids than they're used to, but some of them. Susie, any thoughts on that?
0: Just to make sure that you have the right lenses on, that children do well if they can, and collaborative and proactive solutions helps them to do just that.
1: Uh, I will say this. The emailer asked about what happened when there were no mental health professionals to help. Um, For the last 30, 40, 50 years, mental health professionals have been, not all, but many, very enthusiastic about rewarding and punishing kids so that I get a lot of parents who come to me and tell tell me that... um, They got the same exact advice from every mental health professional they turned to, and the reason that they were turning to so many mental health professionals is because they were getting the exact same advice and it wasn't working. That doesn't mean rewarding and punishing doesn't work. The research tells us that it does work, but it depends a little bit on your definition of work. My definition of work is we have figured out what a kid's lagging skills are, so we have the right lenses on and have the global view. We have figured out what the kids' unsolved problems are, so we know what we're working on and we have prioritized and we are solving those problems collaboratively and proactively so that we're not just working on a child's behavior and modifying it. We are working on the problems that are causing those behaviors and solving them. That's my definition of working, and I think it works better. Uh, We have about two minutes left in terms of time for the program, and we do have other emails that we could answer, but as I am scanning through them, I do not think we can do them justice in the little time that we have left. Any final thoughts today, Susie, before we call it a day for today?
0: Um. I'm doing some work at an elementary school, and there's a little boy that's always getting in trouble. Um, I hear the teacher telling him that he doesn't listen, and she's frequently yelling and threatening him with timeouts and punishment, calling his mother. And the teacher's been doing it her way for 27 years. How and when do you think it's appropriate to say something that plan A is not having a good effect and
1: clearly not working? I do not know. It depends on your relationship with this teacher and the degree to which you think she's going to be receptive Mm -hmm. um, uh, versus um, something a little bit less direct uh, but I do not know. I think it depends on whether you think this teacher would listen to you and be receptive to it and to ponder what she would be most receptive to. Of course, I'm assuming that she's a she because I think you said she, but it could be a he as well. Those are the things I'd be thinking about. What's that teacher going to be most receptive to, and is there anybody who could give you some advice on that?
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Always a pleasure, Susie. We are not on next week because I will be in Sweden, but we will be on the week after that. April 27th. Susie, thank you as always. Talk to you in two weeks. Thank you.
0: Take care. Safe travels.